All right, good morning, everyone. We've got a lot to pray for as the church. You know, I want to just ask that you would pray faithfully for the 242 retreat coming up this weekend and then obviously with missions coming up. But I wanted to start the sermon uh, just with a little uh, interaction between you and your neighbor like I usually like doing. Uh, I want you to share and finish this statement. The statement is simply this. Life is... And you can feel that with however you would like. Life is good, life is bad, life is tough, whatever it is. And more importantly, I'd like for you to just share with the person next to you why. Okay? Can you do that for me real quick? So go ahead. Life is. Anyone finish this statement with something very positive? Uh, that would be kind of nice, right? Life is good or life is blessing. It would be nice to start a sermon with something a little positive. Uh, uh, James Hong, uh, how about you? Life is what? Life is good. Okay. I'm not going to ask you why, but that's always good to hear. Okay. Um, how many of you guys, just raise your hands, it's just life is good, anything positive? Yeah? Okay, just a few of you. You know, positive is preferred, right? Obviously. <laughs> but maybe some of you... Um, you finish that sentence with something maybe a little bit more negative, right? Because life is hard, or life is confusing, or it's difficult, or it's painful, stressful, draining, or tiring, right? And if we're honest, sometimes life's just not great, right? We could just look into the world and some of the current events that are happening, right? You look at what's happening in Ukraine, the innocent bystanders, the pain and the struggle and people being displaced. I saw this picture, and it's actually very beautiful, but it kind of broke my heart. It's a picture of in Poland of how some Polish moms left some empty strollers for Ukrainian moms that would be bringing babies uh, that were displaced, just had to run out of there with nothing. Sometimes life just is hard. Even in Japan a few weeks ago, uh, we go there and do missions in this area called Shiogama. A couple weeks ago, a 7.3 earthquake hit. This is Roberta, one of our missionaries that we support, and she was kind of updating us on what was happening. After that, they had 12 aftershocks. Isn't that crazy? This is a picture of their house after this, right? And luckily, it was far enough where no one got hurt. You know, But you can imagine the fear, right, uh, of the people there because in 2011, a huge tsunami hit, killing and destroying so many things there. And maybe you don't even have to look into the world. Maybe you just look at your own personal lives. And you, in your own personal life, right now, there's a mountain of struggles, stresses, and difficulties. But this is why there are passages in the Bible like Psalm 90.10. When it says this, the years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. Life just sometimes sucks, man. I remember a couple of days ago, uh, I called my mom because I wanted her to watch my three kids. You know, I had to go and run and do some things for church, and so I was kind of 
in a panic. Uh, my wife was busy, so I said, oh, you know, I called my mom. I said, hey, can you watch the kids? And she said, no. And you know how when you're talking to your parents, and you can sense that something is wrong, okay? <laughs> There's something going on, okay? So I can tell she was a little stressed, and I know she didn't, she doesn't, she loves my kids, right? So <laughs> she wasn't saying no for a reason. So, and then so I was like, oh, is something going on? And uh, she said, well, and any of you guys have parents like this? They'll never tell me anything that's wrong in their life. Never. If something good is going on, they'll brag literally the next moment, right? My dad would be like, have you been playing golf lately? And I'm like, no, I'm busy. And he'd be like, oh, because I shot uh, five over yesterday. I'd be like, thanks, dad. He'd be like, you should practice. Yeah, I have three kids. I'm busy. Okay, thank you. Right? But if something bad is happening, like, they'll never share it with me. And because they don't want to burden me, you know, they don't want to stress me out. They, they know that I have a lot going on. So anyways, my mom says, well, uh, you know, your dad hasn't actually been feeling that well. You know, so he's going to go and just get some tests. But it's not cancer. I was like, I didn't ask that it was cancer, right? But, you know, then all of a sudden, a normal day for me turns just a slightly more stressful. And then you start thinking stuff, and it kind of gets you off your path. Pastor Steve shared with me on Friday, his mother-in-law fell and broke her hip. Life just all of a sudden even as followers of Christ, gets difficult. You know, Jesus in our passage this morning, and we've been trekking through Luke. We're in chapter 21. And in chapter 21, in a nutshell, it echoes kind of this similar thought that life sometimes is going to be hard and maybe even get worse because this chapter is Jesus' final teaching before going to Calvary. And he teaches about the end times and that he's going to come back. And essentially what he teaches is that I am going to come back, but before I do, things are going to get pretty bad and get actually a little worse. He predicts the fall of Jerusalem, the persecution for the church, suffering, political chaos, natural disasters, nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom, famines, terrors to come before he has to come back for us. You can imagine hearing this. You can get a little discouraged. Even for us, right, when we go through difficult times. And maybe we start to wonder, man, life is just so hard. But this is why what Jesus has for us this morning is good news, right? Because Jesus is going to remind us that he is coming back for us. That because of his work on the cross, we have victory over death and sometimes the sucky life that we have here. Because when we pass from this life, our story does not end. That we will spend an eternity 
in a place filled with joy, without tears and pain, because of what Jesus has done for us. Amen? Okay, I guess I'm the only one excited in this room. That's good news, amen? You know, sadly, some American preachers, uh, they're selling promises of your best life now. While many Christians throughout much of the world struggle. And yet, they remain steadfast in their faith because they realize this truth that their best life will come after the grave. My friends, Jesus is coming back. And our passage, after Jesus teaches about the end times, he wants to make sure that the church is well prepared when he does come back. Right? Because sometimes knowing that he's going to come back doesn't necessarily impact your present reality. But it should. That's what Jesus wants to get at this morning. So he teaches us. And so we want to look at what it looks like not to be prepared for the coming of Christ. Because he's coming back. And what it looks like to be well prepared. Okay, so that's where we're going. Three points this morning. The first one, preparation, lesson number one. To be watchful and not caught up in the distractions of life. Verse 34 says this. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of this life. And that they come upon you suddenly like a trap. Did you know, and this is quoting George Sweeting, he says this, one in every 30 New Testament verses refer to the second coming in the Bible. More than a fourth of the Bible is predictive prophecy. Over 1,800 references appear in the Old Testament and 17 Old Testament books give prominence to this theme. Of the 260 chapters in the New Testament, there are more than 300 references to the Lord's return. One out of every 30 verses. Isn't that crazy? 23 of the 27 New Testament books refer to this great event. For every prophecy on the first coming of Christ in the Bible, there are eight on Christ's second coming. The Bible is filled with teachings on the end time. And Jesus spent a lot of time on it. But you see, sometimes the response to end time thought can be of like fear or maybe even trying to track what's happening, like, oh, Israel became a nation, right? Is the vaccine a mark of the beast, right? There's all these kind of random things you can start thinking when thinking about the end times. But actually, when Jesus teaches about the end time here, it's not to get caught up in those kind of things. Actually, he challenges the church to look within. It's a personal exhortation. He says, watch yourselves. Where you are with the Lord, reflect and make sure that you know where you are spiritually with God. Why? Well, he continues on verse 34. Watch yourselves lest to oppress. You know, when I was growing up, there was this phrase, check yourself. And you all know how that's, that statement kind of ends? What does it say? Check yourself before what? 
think I heard it. But there was this phrase growing up, check yourself before you wreck yourself. I know it's silly, but that's literally what Jesus is getting at. He's saying, check your heart. Because if you don't, you could head down the wrong path and be weighed down. And he mentions three specific things. Okay, The three things I want to classify as distractions and into two categories. The first one he says, dissipation and drunkenness. What I would classify as the blatant distractions. And the third one is the cares of this life. Not the life to come, but the life here. What I would classify as the subtle distractions. Dissipation and drunkenness in the Greek actually have very similar meanings, but there's a subtle difference. Dissipation is the act and the abuse of excessive drinking, and drunkenness is more the state of being this altered state when you get drunk. So what Jesus is doing is he's emphasizing the sin of drinking and the person that you become in the state of drunkenness, right? Now, I should pause here. He's talking about the overuse, the addiction, the abuse, and the the danger of the person that you become when you are drunk. He is not saying you cannot ever enjoy a drink of alcohol, okay? I just want to be clear. I know that there are some of you, even in this room, that appreciate wine, right? Just raise of hands, anyone? That's not bad. I was actually wondering if you were going to raise your hand. There's nothing wrong with that, okay? There are even churches that still use real wine for communion, right? When I went on missions to Russia, Our team was shocked, right? Because they were under 21, a lot of them. They're college students, they went up. One guy tried to go back again, right? He wanted like a second cup, right? But really, you know, to have a drink here and there. Any of you guys enjoy any spirits? You're like, Holy Spirit? No, no, I'm not talking about that. Like, Like drinks in moderation once in a while. It's not a big deal. But what the Bible constantly addresses, because there are many consequences, is this idea of over-excessive abuse and then losing control. And there are many consequences, but the reason Jesus gives as to why it's dangerous, at least in our passage, is that this overuse and addiction, it can weigh us down and distract us from our greater calling to live for God and to focus on eternal things. And he's saying, watch yourself spiritually in this area. It's not good for us spiritually. And then, Jesus in his greater wisdom, he goes on to mention an area of more subtle distractions. He says you can also get weighed down with the cares of this life, right? It's not so blatant as drunkenness, but they're innocent, legitimate cares of this life. Things that we should be responsible over. We have bills, we need money, we need to work, daily necessities, family duties. And look, we ought to be responsible in these areas that God has called us to. But here's the part. 
These small cares of life can quickly become overarching priorities or obsessions. And our obsession with our pleasures and problems can distract us from following Christ and doing his will. Do you remember what Jesus taught in Matthew 13, 22 in the parable of the sower? He says something very interesting. He says this, As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. See, what Jesus was teaching in this parable is that these simple, innocent cares of the world can get in the way. It can be a distraction that kills what God wants to do in us and through us. We can live life caught up, being ultra-responsible in the earthly things and forget about the eternal. It's very subtle. And indulging in gifts and excesses, right? It's a warning. It could injure our soul. Do you mind sharing with the person next to you? Because we all have an area that we care too much about in this life. And there could be legitimate, innocent things. You mind just sharing, maybe with the person next to you, an area of your life maybe you feel yourself like obsessing over too much. Do you mind doing that real quick? Go ahead. Because I'm going to share with you mine. But go ahead with the person next to you. All right, that's enough sharing, just for the sake of time. We'll finish on time here. I'm going to share with you mine. Uh, My area are my kids. Just be honest. I'm just going to throw it out there. It's my kids. And specifically in the area of I just get really mad when my kids get hurt. I just, it's just something I cannot control. Even this morning, we woke up. My son ran into our bed. So he was in bed with me and my wife. I got up to get ready for church. And as soon as I finished dressing, I came out. He falls off the bed, hits the frame, and he starts crying. I'm like, great day to start to worship God and to focus and to serve him today, right? I remember my wife used to always tell me, like, you need to calm down because every time we went to get a vaccine shot for my son, my son or my daughters, I would just leave pissed. Right? Any of you guys? I would leave the office pissed. And I'm not mad at anyone. I'm not mad at the nurse. She's doing her job. But I just leave and she's like, are you okay? And I'm like, I'm fine. But I just, it really bugs me. Uh, do you remember um, when they have to do that heel test? They have to squeeze the blood out of your son or daughter. Day one. They can't wait for day seven, right? It has to be day one, right? And they squeeze the blood into these six circles. Do you remember that? What are they testing for? I, I don't even remember. Okay, I'm, I didn't hear. Whatever. Okay. So they're testing. But it's like... Your baby's crying, and they're squeezing and squeezing, and it's like they have to fill the whole circle. 
And in my mind, I'm sitting there, I'm like, I think half will do, brother. Right? I think half is good. But really, um, that's an area that I struggle with, you know. And my family, it's a beautiful gift from God. Can easily become way too important in my life. A care, if not careful, can take over my soul. And it becomes way more important than God intended. It's important, but it becomes the overarching purpose, priority. And check this out in verse 34, Jesus says, that day will come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Jesus is going to come back, and the analogy is like a trap. It's sudden, and with surprise, it's going to catch some people. And there will be no escaping that day. This is a comprehensive judgment. It will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Meaning no one is exempt. You can't rely on your parents to stand for you. Not your pastor, not your elders, your small group. Oh, my grandma, you know, she's watching out for me. She's the prayer warrior in my family. No, no, you have to watch yourself. We will all stand individually before God. So that is what not to do, right? To make sure that we watch ourselves because we can get weighed down by these three things. So, what ought we do to be well prepared? Well, there are two special commands for believers preparing well for the second coming of Christ. The first is this, to stay awake. Say that with me. Stay awake. I see someone sleeping, so I kind of want to, like, address it to that person, but I'm just going to let it go. Okay? 36. Stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place. And to stand before the Son of Man. Obviously, he's not talking about physical sleep. He's talking about the spiritual slumber that the Bible talks about much. It's dangerous, right? It's to be lulled into not being aware of the spiritual realities around us. And the kingdom-mindedness that Christ wants us to have. You know, with all three of my kids, I used to play this pretend game. Do you ever do this with your kids? When I'm playing with them and I'm a little tired, I try to pretend like I'm sleeping just to see what they do. Right? So I'll just close my eyes and, you know, my hope is one of them would at least just like put a blanket on me, turn off the light, go shh, and then walk out the room. But inevitably, all three kids, you know what, they, they, it's, it's, it's insane because they all do the same thing. They all come really close to my ear, and then they go, ah! or wake up. You know, my son is actually extra special because he'll just smack me on the head, right? Because boys are a little different. 
But it's like a wake-up call. And this morning is kind of similarly smacking us up and saying, look, wake up, Christian. Okay? Because it is so easy while we live on this earth to fall into a spiritual slumber. Right? And to just go about our day without thinking about the things of God. Like saying, like, no, we are sons and daughters of the king. And he has called us to greater things than the here and now. And you could just spiritually just be asleep. And Jesus is saying to be prepared well. He says at all times to stay awake spiritually. And I thought about, like, how do we do that well, right? Do we just, like, smack ourselves in the head? Like, what, what are we saying when we say stay awake? And, uh, you know, I just kind of thought of kind of an interesting analogy because any of you guys been to St. Petersburg, Russia, or where you were kind of really north, and they have these things called summer nights? Any of you guys know what that is? Well, anyways, if you're really north, we went to St. Petersburg for missions, they have this thing called summer nights or white nights, because in the summer, because they're so high up geographically, the sun doesn't even really set for more than about three or four hours. And even when it sets, it's still pretty bright. Take a look at this picture. This is actually from St. Petersburg, actually at midnight. And that's kind of how it looks. So it's kind of really weird because you'll be walking around the city and it's 10 p.m., but you know you're tired and you should be sleeping. But because the sun is still kind of out, you're like messed up. I should be tired, but I'm kind of tired, but I, don't, I can't sleep because it's light out. You know what I'm saying? And so we literally would have to put black trash bags, double them up on every window so we could fall asleep because it would be a little dark, right? And I found this to be kind of an interesting analogy to this. How do we stay awake? Well, it's hard to fall asleep when you're looking at the light. It really is. And so the idea here is when we're saying we should stay awake, You know what that looks like? Spiritually, it's hard to fall asleep when you're looking at the light of Christ every day. It really is. This is not a takeaway for you to go home and just think like, oh, I just need a man up or woman up and try my best to really be spiritually focused. No, because we are weak, right? The idea is, no, we got to keep trying to turn our eyes to Christ and that way he will awaken us to the eternal things that are around us, right? Ever since we were young, we were told to read the Bible and to look at Christ. And when we do, we just become automatically more aware of the spiritual things around us. And we don't take the things that happen around us as seriously. I remember my youth pastor, his car got broken into. I think I shared this story a long time ago. And this is when I was a a senior, and I was one of the cabinet people. And and I still remember what he said to me, and I was shocked. Because I thought he would be a little angry, but he wasn't. And you know what he said to me? He's literally, I'm paraphrasing because I don't remember exactly. But he says something to the degree of, you know, John, God gave me this car. It's a gift. I'm not going to keep it forever. And so if it gets broken into or if it's just, you know, I lose it or whatever, it's fine. And I thought to myself, man, it's so hard to live that way. Right? 
But when we look to Christ, I think it starts giving us perspective on the things that we are involved in. And it helps us to stay awake to the eternal things and the things that God is calling us to. This is why he follows with our second and our last of our positive commands. It says this, the final lesson on preparation is to stay awake and then to be prayerful. Let's read verse 36 again. It says this, stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Faithful perseverance requires prayer because prayer is a gift of grace. In verse 36, it reminds us that prayer gives us strength to escape and to stand before Jesus. And when you study the Greek of this phrase, it is actually more accurate to translate this idea of having strength to mean to be accounted worthy, interesting. That's why if you have a King James Version, it'll actually translate this as saying to be accounted worthy. And J. Vernon McGee, he has an interesting quote talking about this verse. He says this, Well, how are you going to be worthy? The only thing that will make me worthy is my position in Christ. Therefore, I have trusted him as my Savior, and I have committed my way to him, so that if I am alive at the time of the rapture, I'll be going to meet him in the air by the grace of God. See, we pray... Because it is a reminder, it is a vital reminder of our position in Christ. Because it humbles us when we pray, doesn't it? Because we're saying, I can't do this without you, God. How could we stand before Jesus and to be counted righteous? It's only by the grace of God. And prayer helps us to recognize that, Jesus, I cannot do this on my own. I need you every hour. It kills the legalistic and self-righteous desires within us because I can't do it. So God, I need you to do it through me. In Matthew 26, 41, the Garden of Gethsemane. And what's interesting is Jesus gives the same exact two positive commands to his disciples. In their greatest time of struggle, of maybe stress of the unknown, he tells them the same exact thing, which is to watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Simply, I want us to be reminded that really that's all of us here. We are weak, and for me, I mean, based on the circumstances of life, it can directly affect my prayer life, my desires for Christ. And so Jesus, knowing this, Says, hey, I'm going to come back for you, man. 
But in the meanwhile, I know you. So I don't want you to get lost, to be shaken by the things of this world because they will come. I know deep down, all of our spirit, we have a desire to live with kingdom-mindedness and for the glory of God. And so let's stay awake to keep our eyes fixed on Christ and to pray and to say, I need thee every hour. I need thee. Every single day to make it a habit of prayer. Not because we just want to tell them what we want in this life, but as we pray with them, transform our hearts. Give us peace. Humble us to give us refreshed vision for the things of him each and every day. I just want to end with this story. You know, Stephen Cole, a pastor, he was sharing this story of how he used to work at this fancy hotel in Chicago called the Drake. And in 1959, he shares about how Queen Elizabeth was going to come. She was scheduled to visit Chicago. So the city officials called all the fancy hotels and said, hey, we got to make elaborate preparations for the queen because she's going to visit. The waterfront had to be readied, trash picked up, trash cans were even painted a certain color, and the red carpet was ready to be pulled out so the queen can walk on it. So as the city officials alerted all the nice hotels in Chicago, he was there when they contacted the Drake, which is where he worked. And the manager was talking uh, and uh, said, hey, you got to make preparations for the queen. And this is what the manager said. We are making no plans for the queen because our rooms are always ready for royalty. This is how our lives should be lived in light of Christ's return. Jesus is saying, live well prepared. You don't have to make special arrangements because every single day you're coming to me already. Staying alert at all times. Praying. Recognizing your positional grace that you have in me. Because the world, maybe they might fear but we are going to embrace the coming of our Savior and King and friend with joy. Because when he comes back, we're going to spend eternity with our maker. Let's live in that fashion through his grace and help. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, God, you know us. Sometimes we try our best, sometimes we don't. And at the end of the day, yeah, it's true. Sometimes the earth has such a hold on us. And yes, there are times we forget that we are your sons and daughters called for kingdom-mindedness. So Lord, we need your help to live in this fashion, to stay away from the things that distract us, even the simple, innocent cares of this life to help us that we are not lulled 
into a spiritual slumber, but that our hearts can be filled for the greater things of you. So have mercy on us. Our spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. But you are always enough. And so we thank you for that. Jesus, in your precious and saving name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. And before we sing, do me a favor. If you're comfortable enough, I'd like for you to maybe hold hands with the person next to you, especially if you came with them. Or just lay a hand, and I want you to just pray for them. That this person would not struggle with spiritual slumber or the cares of this life or maybe even the blatant distractions of sin in their hearts. Real quickly, before we start singing, let's just intercede on behalf of the brother or sister next to you, asking that we would be those that stay awake and are prayerful, walking in well preparation for the King. Let's pray together.